Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, folks, and welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I am Charlie Burris, here as always with my co-host Zach Reagan, writer for A to Z Sports, wherever you listen throughout the world. Thank you so much for listening to us. We talk all things balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast, and if you want to listen to that on the regular, go to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on iTunes, Spotify, and subscribe because then you won't miss the episodes when we drop them on usually Mondays this week on a Tuesday because of July 4th. Shout out to America at Charlie underscore Burris at Zach TNT at A to Z Sports on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville and A to Z Sports.com for all the stuff that we write. And then the big one, the one that's been blowing up, dude, YouTube. Go to YouTube.com, search up A to Z Sports, and you can see everything here. We're going to have pictures on the show today, so you can go to the YouTube and, and see them. We'll talk about that in just a second, what we're going to show. Um, the YouTube, subscribe, and the episodes are there in all their glory, plus a bunch of content about the Titans, everything else that A to Z Sports is there. That it, all the other stuff that A to Z Sports does is there. don't know why I can't speak. Let's get to it, Zach. Tons of recruiting news, but let's start with something fun uh, that I think a lot of people will be happy about, and it is happening quite literally as we are speaking right now. This is this is breaking news. We need we need that like nightly news music. The Vols letters, the V O L S, the classic Vols letters that were taken down so long ago was a true travesty. With these letters being taken off at Neyland Stadium way back in the day, they are back. Danny White came through. Look at this right here, Zach. This is uh, from a tweet from, I think, W-A-T-E, maybe, just to give them credit. Look, uh, so nice, Zach. The good oh. A. What's up, man? Yeah, I mean, I feel like maybe, maybe this is what breaks the curse, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, the letters do it. I mean, one, I don't understand why they ever came down. Uh, and two, why they didn't go back up after so much fan demand. Although, this works out for Danny White because he looks like a hero for doing something uh, incredibly obvious. But I, I, let's see. what It was uh, 1999. Was that when the letters came down? That uh, sounds right. Initially, it was after the, the, the championship. I think it was 99. I think it was after the 98 season. And the new jumbotron and all that went up. Yeah. I believe I believe that's correct. Maybe there's some better Vols historians that listen that, that can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But I mean, look, that coincides with kind of the downfall. It wasn't uh, dramatic. Tennessee had some great years after winning the championship in '98. They they should have won the championship in what uh, 2001. Yeah, with that season yeah. and uh, the the 2004 season was a really fun season, but I, I started going downhill after that. So maybe this is what finally kind of breaks the curse. You got a high scoring offense. You got those Vols letters it's starting to starting to feel like '98 again. Maybe <laughs> can we put can we put that phrase to bed? Is that <laughs> is it time? I mean, yeah, it's been 24 years, so it yeah. might be. 20, 24 years, I think it might be time. Especially now, look, now that Georgia has won the championship, because that was oh, the thing, right? 1980. Yeah. 1980. Every time a Georgia fan said something, 1980. You can't do that anymore. I mean, you just can't. All the big uh, SEC programs, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, uh, they've all won national championships since Tennessee. So, uh, Tennessee fans, I mean, I hate it, but you got to sit this one out when it comes to talking trash to those programs. Now we need a new year. Feels like mm -hmm. 2022. There you go. Uh, 2023. One of these, 
up upcoming years it needs to be we need to get back to double digit wins i mean that would be the place to that's step one start. step one i mean yes. it's been 15 years since tennessee's won 10 games 15 years that's unbelievable in 2007 if you'd have told me that's the last time tennessee's gonna win uh 10 games in a season for 15 years i would not have been able to believe it at all it is a travis a true tragedy i honestly should have never been this way, but here the the letters are back, VOLS is back, and so is is this is what they everybody always says about Texas is Tennessee football back? Now the <laughs> the Vol letters <laughs> are back. Is this what it took? Well, Philip Palmer says the Vols were back in what uh, early uh, early twenty twenty after the oh that yeah five season. Oh god, that he has I forgot two... that happened. <laughs> There's been a lot that's happened since then, so it's it's understandable. They, they were not, in fact, back but at that point. Fomer, after he retired, uh, returned as the Tennessee's athletic director, he had two quotes that will stay with him forever. There was that one, the famous, well, the Vols are back clip. And then uh, at the press conference where they announced that Jeremy Pruitt was fired and he absentmindedly said, well, the recruiting's been good. And then there was a long oh, pause God. where he kind of realized what he had said. It's like, well, that's it's kind of the reason you're firing your head coach right now is because the recruiting has been good. Oh man, but that um, is okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we can retire. Vols are back. I think you could do a whole episode. I think probably more. You could do like a whole television series on the legacy of Phil Fulmer at, at Tennessee. It is complicated at this point. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it shouldn't have been. Uh, but it is now, uh, and ah, man, I, <laughs> that, that Tennessee's back comment. I forgot. I had, I had put it out of my brain. I had wiped it clean. Don't need to think about it. Don't remember that D said that now it's back. Thanks Zach. Oh, Thanks yeah. a lot, man. <laughs> hey, just, hey, look, when, listen, if Tennessee pull, if they beat Florida this year, if they start off like five and one or something, that clip's going to be played. On oh yeah. You're going to see it. I hope so. Yeah, uh, I hope so too. I mean, I at that point I wouldn't mind it because at that point it might actually feel like the ball is back if you're going to be Florida. And- if you're a Tennessee fan, after everything that's happened the last 15, 20 years, opposing fan bases can't hurt you. You've been through too much. You were you were conditioned for this, so yeah, lean all the way into it. it have fun with it. Don't don't be cautiously optimistic. Just go all in because what's another. Uh, a fall from grace here. What, what's another disastrous season? Been through a ton of those. We can handle it if it happens, but have fun with it. Deserve it's, to have some fun. It's one of those, uh, you know, like a, a guy's about to retire and he's thinking about doing something to work and you, and you go like, what are you going to do? Fire me? <laughs> yeah. That's how it feels as a Tennessee fan. You're just, you're so, you've done this for so long. You're like, what, what are you, what are you going to do? Give me a four win season. I've been there. Yeah, done, done that. What are you gonna do? Yeah. Although I don't, I don't. Let's not speak anything worse into existence. I, you know, don't tempt fate <laughs> by taunting. There's nothing worse that could happen. I'm sure there is. I'm oh sure yeah, well there is. is always something worse. But I, yeah, I still have that mindset. It's it's, it's kind of like uh, in planes, trains, automobiles, where he's says, you know, I've lived with Dale, whatever his name is. I've, I, I've, I can handle anything. We've. We've been through the Butch Jones era. We can handle anything. We've been through Jeremy Pruitt. We can handle anything. I think so. But uh, just uh, wanted wanted to throw that in there. Hopefully, it does. The good vibes. The curse is lifted. This is this is the year. Finally, Tennessee. We say it every year. Next year's our is the year. Well, that'll be it next year. Maybe next year is the year because we we said that a few weeks ago with, with baseball and basketball. The next year finally came. You won the championship. You won the SEC championship. You had a magical season in baseball. Um, so maybe this the next year will finally come for Tennessee football uh, with the letters going back up on Neyland Stadium. But uh, with that said, recruiting news. So much happened uh, this week over the holiday, July 4th. You had uh, commitments from so far, because this isn't really the end for the week, uh, but so far, four different players where Tennessee was huge in the mix. Tennessee got three of the four, although the one 
that they didn't get was pretty important. But let's start here. This was my favorite one. Uh, and and out of this whole set of players, and this it was not the highest rated recruit, but it was the one that I enjoyed getting the commitment from the most. And that was Christian Conyer, an, an athlete from South Warren High School in Bowling Green, Kentucky, which actually my cousin went to South Warren. I, I know my wife went to Western Kentucky University, uh, familiar with that area. Um, and the thing that was great about his commitment to Tennessee was that the predictions from analysts were, it was close. It was really, really close, but the predictions were really that he was going to go to Kentucky, which would have sucked. You don't want to lose a recruit to Kentucky. Although the kid is from Kentucky, uh, Bowling Green is not too close to Lexington, but nonetheless, you don't want to lose a recruit to a team that you beat perennially. Uh, and Tennessee did not lose. They beat out Kentucky for Christian Conyers services. This was great. So the, the the mad tweeting from Kentucky fans was so awesome. Uh, wh- what did you think about Conyers committing? Oh, I mean, the uh, the tweeting from Kentucky fans was fun. Uh, Matt Jones, Kentucky sports radio guy. We, we've talked about Kentucky sports radio and how entertaining that can be at times. He was really, really uh, uh, tweeting through it. He's having some tough times. He didn't directly blame it on NIL, but he seemed to suggest that a lot with his tweets. But my favorite was the Kentucky uh, tight ends coach. Oh, yeah. Uh, Vin- Vince Marrow, I believe is his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he tweeted, kind of subtweeted about it and said, you know, whatever. We'll, we'll see those guys in a few months. Uh, but but what was wild about that is his daughter was getting ready to get married. I mean, his tweet right before that was, you know, best day of my life, fixing to uh, walk my daughter down the aisle. And he, in the midst of all that, he has to send a subtweet, uh, kind of bemoaning the loss of this player to Tennessee. I mean, that is fantastic. You're all you're all in Kentucky's head at this point, from their coaching staff to their fan base to their oh. their biggest uh, media person in Matt Jones. It's it's beautiful because Matt Jones hates Tennessee so much. He takes underhanded shots at Tennessee every chance he gets, especially when it comes to basketball. Uh, but even in football, they, they try to because they've had some success under Mark Stoops, but they haven't really had much success against Tennessee. So this was really – I mean, I'm with you. That was my favorite one of the week, too, just because of the reaction from Kentucky fans. Yeah, I mean, he's it, the, the kid's a good, a good prospect. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the number 36 athlete in America, the number five player in Kentucky, according to on three, I believe one of the services had him as the top player in Kentucky. Yeah. He's a four star on, on yeah. some of the services. So I mean, probably going mean, to be a cornerback. That's a good, I mean, you, Tennessee needs cornerbacks. They need players in the secondary too. So yeah, you get a good player and you steal it from Kentucky, something you should be doing anyway, but Hey, wouldn't have been shocking to see him go to Kentucky, especially with NIL deals flying around. It's the in-state school. It's going to happen, uh, but yeah, yeah it, it's pretty satisfying. But these were, <laughs> I just, I looked. Back-to-back tweets from Vince Merrow, Kentucky. He says, walking my daughter down the aisle today, God is good. Hey, congratulations to Vince's daughter. Uh, that is great. Um, and then the very next tweet, <laughs> let's see, what is the time difference? 3.07 p.m. for the first one. And then 420, so an hour and a half later, 428 on the next one. And then he says, about to enjoy the biggest day of my life. Just don't, you shouldn't have put that in there. You shouldn't have put that in there. No. <laughs> that was a mistake. Because, yes. like, the Tennessee Tennessee fans would have never known to, like, look. I mean, sh- I'm sure, like, some would have found it and and been like, look, he's sweet. But he, he threw in, about to enjoy the biggest day of my life. We will see them dudes in a few months. <laughs> Go Big Blue. <laughs> Bro. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you? Just don't. Just don't tweet. You, that's, you know what you can just do? It's this easy. Just don't. Just don't tweet that. And then it's that. I don't <laughs> understand because these coaches, they typically show so much restraint in media interviews. Seriously. And media sessions. They don't, they don't talk about recruiting at all, obviously. But they get on Twitter and they, they have the need to say something. Uh, and it happens all the time. I mean, we've seen this a ton where these kind of like subtweets come from coaches that miss out. It's just, it's never a good look. Never wish the kid well and move on. Like you're going to lose some of those battles. Uh, it, it ha- Alabama loses battles. Georgia loses battles. You, there's so many, 
we'll talk about this more in a minute, I'm sure. But there's so many things. Uh, there's only so much a school can do when it comes to recruiting. I'm sure Kentucky did everything right. I'm sure they built a good relationship with the kid. They thought they had a good shot. There's probably not a lot more they could have done. The kid just preferred Tennessee. Tennessee also lost out on players recently this week. Last week, uh, same deal. I mean, you can't control ultimately where a player wants to go. You really can't. And this, I just don't, why would you do this? It's still just so funny. He fought, I, he followed it up even from then. I haven't seen this. I He said at almost 10 o'clock that night, I assume maybe the wedding is still going on at that point if it's a really long wedding. I might have had to postpone it. So <laughs> Dad's having a breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> Call it off. Uh, he said, I have much respect for that young man. I'm happy when any kid goes to college, whether, and he put, he spelled it weather like the weather channel, mm. uh, whether it's Kentucky or any other school, it's football, not life and death. Back to my daughter's important day, go big blue. Like, again, you just, what if you just didn't? What if you didn't say anything? Like, that what, makes how, it worse. Vince, why? Like, you, you have to know if his daughter knows, and she might have just been wrapped up in the day and not realized that any of this ever happened. Who knows? But you got to, like, if my dad had done this on my wedding day, the, we did the middle, I would have him grief about that for the rest of my life. I mean, yeah. that would be, <laughs> what were you doing? You couldn't, for one day, you couldn't just put it down. You couldn't put the phone down. Really? In the in, during the off season, and, and I bet you anything that that girl got married at this specific time because dad could come. Oh yeah, like you, you know she can't get married during yeah, the fall because dad can't be there. It's the deadest part. I mean, it's a dead. It's a dead period. I believe in recruiting right now, where yeah. that you know it's it's the deadest part of the year in college football. So yeah, I'm sure that's specifically the reason. And he's still still tweeting through it. <laughs> so congrats. Uh, to him well, on the on the wedding and correct congrats to Tennessee on Christian Conyer. Uh that so that was definitely our favorite uh, get of the weekend. But you also had uh defensive lineman out of Douglasville, Georgia, Tyree Weathersby, a three-star. Um a, a three, the let's see, the number 64 defensive lineman, according to the 247 Sports Composite, the number 50 player out of the state of Georgia, and the number 530 player in the class of 2023. But Defensive help that you need. I, I don't think that uh, you can discount that at all, even though it's a three-star player. You need the depth. You need the bodies right there, even even if the kid isn't an absolute killer, although I, I like the tape that I saw of him. So I uh, I like this this pickup too. Any thoughts on Tyree? No, I think, you know, you, you're building depth. You're hoping that that's a guy that can contribute. You're not expecting him to come in and be an all sec type player but then again we've had that happen before we've seen it with players like cam sutton and some other emmanuel mosley some three-star guys that come in and end up starting and playing a big role and making it to the nfl uh recruiting rankings matter they're more often than not pretty pretty spot on but they do miss sometimes and you know maybe this is one where they like this tape i don't think tennessee's going to take commitments right now in july from a three-star player unless they really like him and you got to trust their evaluation on that i know that's hard to hear for tennessee fans i've seen a lot of comments three-star you i mean i'm seeing that all the time i i don't understand those complaints tennessee has the number 10 recruiting class in the country right now uh, obviously alabama's behind them they're going to jump over them of course there's a lot of guys they're waiting on that won't make their decisions till later they'll be top five like always but look Ole miss kentucky South Carolina, uh, they're all way, way, way below Tennessee in the recruiting rankings. I mean, it's it's not even close. Ole Miss is at 60, uh, Missouri at 58, Kentucky at 54, Vanderbilt at 52. If I was below Vanderbilt, I think I'd be reconsidering my, my strategies moving forward. Oof. But, you know, you, you've got all these teams that are not recruiting nearly as well as Tennessee. LSU at, at, at number 15, who's they're kind of ignoring the state of Louisiana right now. I think that's a big misstep by Brian Kelly down there. So it's not like Tennessee's recruiting bad. I, I don't think that there's any reason to be upset. I mean, considering what Josh Heupel walked into and you got the number 10 class in the country, you got maybe the best quarterback in the country committed, you're going to have to take some of these three-star guys until you start winning 10 games a year. 
that's the only thing that's going to get you over the hump to where you routinely routinely land four and five star guys where it's not just an outlier that you, that you got a guy. Yeah, it, it it just is what it is for the time being. But the, I guess we can go straight into the conversation here uh, that I think most people were thinking about over the weekend after sort of the the fun of that Christian Conyers situation and things. So five-star offensive lineman Francis Maljoa makes his decision on July 4th. And uh, it came down to Tennessee and Miami. And he chooses Miami. Uh, and a lot of people thought he was going to choose Tennessee. He has a really, really good relationship with uh, with Nico Yamaliava, uh, and people were really feeling like he might come to Tennessee. Obviously, Miami in kind of a similar situation to Tennessee, except even like a year behind. They just got a new coach, um, supposedly, and this is really probably what can be talked about here. Huge NIL money flowing through Miami right now. They are they are doing it big, uh, and so you lose out on him to Miami. And I think, yeah, a lot of people over the weekend were like, well, it's back to three-star you. Here we go again. It's over. We're just, why did we ever even get our hopes up about blah, 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 blah? Is it over, Zach? Is it back to three-star you? Are we, were we flying too close to the sun thinking that NIL could get Tennessee uh, all of these five-star players in the door? Or, or what's the deal? Well, I think there's a lot of uh, confusion out there right now because – when Tennessee landed Nico, it was like, okay, Tennessee is, they're setting the standard when it comes to NIL. And we talked about that a little bit. And the feeling is, is that Danny White maybe pulled the reins in a little bit on the NIL stuff. There was, there was the statement that he made to VolQuest with the interview where he doesn't really want NIL mixing with recruiting. Came right after the NCAA kind of talked about cracking down on collectives and how they're defined and their communications with recruits. And that's not supposed to be happening. And obviously we know it is, but Tennessee's in a weird spot where they haven't got their notice of allegations from the NCAA. Uh, the feeling is that they'll be fine, that it won't be that major because of the way they cooperated. But I can understand Danny White's hesitancy. You, you don't want to put bury yourself in a big hole and not be able to get out of it because you made things worse. I don't know that the NCAA would be able to do anything to Tennessee. I don't, I don't think so because they're losing power by the day. But I can somewhat understand not wanting to flirt with disaster there. So Tennessee doesn't really want to get caught up in anything with, with recruits. Now, it seems like Tennessee is kind of focusing on instead of spending on recruits, spending on current players. And that's a strategy that I think it's kind of what's happening at Ole Miss right now. I think that's why Ole Miss is so far down the recruiting rankings. Lane Kiffin's really using the transfer portal to fill some needs. Tennessee might need to consider leaning on that over the next couple of years because NIL is going to be such a weird thing. You've got all this money that you want to spend on these players that have never played in college. You don't know how they're going to turn out. You're going to get burnt. Every program out there is going to get burnt. For every four-star and five-star guy that pans out, there's going to be a Drew Richmond that you land and you pay big money for, and he's just a flop. There's going to be a Harrison Bailey that's a five-star guy that comes in and just doesn't perform like you expected him to. That stuff's going to happen. People that are funding all this, how long are they going to let that go? They're not just going to hand out money to players they're not sure about. So for a program like Tennessee, where they're kind of uh, trying to rebuild, they're not Alabama and Georgia, where they can kind of control who they get. They've got to write a check, and, and they know what kind of what they're getting. They, they might need to rely on keeping players in the program first. That's going to be very important. And we saw Tennessee do that last year with Tyler Barron, who hit the portal. Looks like he was probably convinced to stay by some NIL deals. Uh, Hendon Hooker could have went pro probably would have been drafted in the later rounds, you know, if he wanted to go ahead and get to the NFL, make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, maybe more, could have maybe went that route. Uh, but we know he got a pretty good NIL deal to stick around. So maybe they need to start focusing their attention there. And then, you know, these three-star guys that, that don't sign an NIL deal to commit, and he ends up going to Missouri and being a star. Okay, well, that guy hits the portal. 
that's the ones you want to really bid on because you know what you're going to get. So I kind of understand why there's some hesitancy here to to spend big on certain prospects. So though I do think a five-star offensive lineman is an exception I probably would have made because you've got to have you got to have that left tackle to protect your quarterback. You have to have that guy. It this loss hurts for sure. It hurts way more than the whole Carnell Tate situation mm-hmm. to me. Um because first of all, you lost Miami. It was another recovering program. I mean, Miami has just been floundering for basically a, a very similar amount of time to Tennessee. Yeah. Um, they had success maybe a little bit longer than Tennessee or or a little bit later into the 2000s than Tennessee did. Um, but the, to lose out in this arena right now, to another program that's kind of in a similar position to you is what is brutal. And you think Miami has a lot of shine to it right now. And mm-hmm. this this is some factors that are, I think, haven't been considered much because no, we think of everything just in terms of the SEC. We think like, okay, how much shine does Knoxville have compared to Starkville? A lot. Because <laughs> Knoxville has civilization around it, you know? And some things like that. But if you're competing with a school that's outside of the SEC, like Miami is sexy, man. This is a big city with a lot going on. And a lot of NIL opportunities. Yeah. I mean, clearly they got into huge trouble way back in the day. And I'm sure that those people are still hanging around. (laughs) The people that that got them into the trouble before. And I'm sure they have new ones. Now, just a ton of money in in Miami right now. It it obviously, during during the whole... uh, the pandy, it got it got real popular. A lot of moving there, and just you know, a lot going on it makes it a really attractive city. To want to go live in that school is in like the nicest part of town. It's not even really in Miami proper. It's in uh, whatever, right outside of there. Uh, I can't think of the exact name. Cor- of it, but Coral anyway. Gables is it Coral Gables? Coral Gables. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I believe the the stadium that they play in is like in the middle of everything down there. And like, there's just some factors like that. Where that kid is already living in Florida. He's at IMG Academy. Hopefully, Niedermeyer is not in his ear. Brian Niedermeyer is down there. Bad-mouthing Tennessee, probably. Um, who was He was on Pruitt's staff, for anybody that doesn't know. And he, we talked about him last week. He's a clown. Um, but, uh, but, you know, the kid was already in Florida. Probably got a really nice pitch from Miami with Cristobal there. And I... Man, it, it's just not going to be that easy. It's not going to be just like here's, here's, you know, seven million dollars. Come on down. You, it's going to be Miami going. Here's seven million dollars from us, and you get to live in Miami. It's never going to be cold. There's no seasons here. It's Miami, and you can get a Lamborghini and drive around. And there's, you know, tons of women on the beach and bikinis here. And it's, you know, all of this stuff that Miami has to offer. That not what are we, what are we supposed to do about something like that? Uh, and I think there's factors at work there um, in, in that way, too, that you have to consider. And it's man, it's tough. It's going to be it's going to be a battle and and you just have to win it however you can. I, I would agree. This might have been a situation where you go, we're really going to up the ante because we need a kid like this to be the foundation of this class. But, you know, what it could have should have it. It is what it is. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's going to be hard. I mean, that stuff is going to really come into play with NIL deals and as as the college football kind of moves away from amateurism and, and that model and moves more into being a professional job. I mean, it's why Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma to go to USC. Yep. I mean, it wasn't so much that he was scared of the SEC. I don't really buy that narrative at all. Uh, I mean, sure, it's easier to win in the Pac-12, and, and and now he's moving to the Big Ten. I'm, I'm, I don't know if he had any idea that that move was coming or not, but it's Los Angeles. You got NIL deals like crazy out there. You, you're you're in Hollywood. That's where the money is. And no, it's not a small college town. It, it's not the biggest sport in town. It's not even close to the biggest sport in town. But there's still a lot of money flowing out there, and Miami is kind of like the, uh, the, the Los Angeles of the East Coast when it comes to sports. I mean – that's just the way it is. So that is going to be tough, but it's it's not all doom and gloom. There are lots of other great college towns. That's still what a lot of kids want. Not every kid's going to be fleeing or, or trying to get to South Beach. And other programs like Mississippi State, pretty much every program in the SEC, 
uh, outside of Vanderbilt has got the same kind of town that they're dealing with and the same challenges that they'll have to be dealing with. Yeah, it's a pretty level playing field inside the SEC. There's no, I mean, like LSU is kind of close to New Orleans, but that's about as good as it gets. And, you know, Vandy would be attractive in Nashville if their program wasn't in a garbage dump, you know. Yeah, if it wasn't Vanderbilt. I think that almost yeah. <laughs> works out, even though it's a couple hours away. I think that works out more to Tennessee's advantage. Absolutely. Know, two hours away from Knoxville or Nashville. In fact, I believe it was Nico uh, Nico that said something about how oh, – I don't think it was Nico. It was another recruit recently giving an interview about Tennessee, and, and he mentioned the proximity to Nashville as being part of his decision-making process. Hmm. So I think it's definitely a factor. That's interesting. I, I hadn't seen that, but yeah, I, I could absolutely see that. Kids kids care about that stuff. They do, especially if you're bringing these kids in and giving them a bunch of money. They're going to go like, well, what can I do with my money? Yeah, I can go out in Miami, go to these clubs that are on South Beach, go eat at like world-class restaurants and do you know all of this stuff that they got down there? They're just. Are like, you what? saying that? Are you saying that Dollywood is not that big of a pool for recruiting? <laughs> we gotta get we gotta get Dolly in here working on behalf of the NIL, though. <laughs> yeah, she she needs to come to some of those meetings and and, and lay down some cash. That's uh, what what do we what a missed opportunity so far. Uh, Dollywood is pretty sweet. Make it no is. mistake about that. I, I mean, Gallenberg is. I, I would say this from growing up, Gatlinburg is bigger now than I probably ever thought it would be. So oh, I know. I mean, I've been going to Gatlinburg since I was a, a small child, and it's insane how much it's changed over over yeah. the years. I mean, we. I, I, <laughs> this is beside the. This is an aside here, but I. I mean, we went all the time as kids. Grew up in Knoxville for most of my life. Moved here when I was five from Nashville. Um, and and you know that's just we we would go to Dollywood and we would go to Pigeon Forge and Gallenberg and all that stuff and we got really disillusioned with it. You know, by the time I was like sixteen, I was like, I will never go to Gallenberg ever again. I can't believe that people actually go and vacation there. It's it's freaking blown up. It's huge now. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, bigger than I probably ever thought it it would be in Dollywood. They got like a huge resort up there now. Yeah, come on, Dollywood, help help out. You know, you, we know you got you got big bucks up there. This come on. Need a need a deal with the, what is it the Dr- Dream More Resort or whatever it's called that they got up there now? Come on, oh, there's all kinds of stuff over there. Maybe uh, Ripley's, believe it or not, throwing around yeah, some nil uh, money. Margaritaville Resort or over there <laughs> yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Buffett, he's right up the road. Come on, yeah. Paul Dean's got a place up there. Yeah, where's, yeah. Where's that Paul Dean money? You know, uh, but <laughs> anywho, like I said, that's an aside. Uh, but there's, there's just some things like that where, what are you, what are we supposed to do? We can't move Tennessee to, to a giant metropolis like Miami. So, uh, some of these things are going to happen. I don't want to make excuses. You, you have to win some of these. You gotta, you, it's gotta be more than Nico right now. And uh, it seems like the sentiment for Shindavian Bradley is really good. It seems like Tennessee is in a really nice position, but you got to close out there. Yeah, I hesitate um, to even say that because I said that about Carnell Tate and Maljoa in it. Uh, yeah, I, I thought Maljoa's coming. Both times. I, and look, I don't. I, I gotta talk about this a little bit because I tweeted yesterday when they missed. I tweeted, "Missing on Francis Maljoa is brutal for Tennessee. No other way to put it. That was one of the balls needed." And some of the kickback. On that tweet, I don't think people really understood the context. I wasn't blaming Tennessee for missing on him. I wasn't throwing shade at any of the coaching staff. I think they did a great job. I think Nico did a great job. They obviously made it tough on him, and and it came right down to the wire, and he's got to pick one or the other. The kid preferred Miami. He preferred South Beach. He preferred that lifestyle and whatever Miami was offering. That I mean, that's just going to happen. Like I said earlier, you cannot control that at all. But when you're that close to landing a kid, a five-star offensive tackle, somebody's going to anchor your offensive line for at least three years, you hope, and you miss out at the very last moment to to another program that's in the same situation as you, like you mentioned, yeah, that's brutal. I mean, I feel like Tennessee's coaches probably felt the same way. It's probably like a gut punch. Like, we were so close to landing this kid. Well, that doesn't really matter because you didn't get him. So, yeah, it feels like a brutal miss. And – some of the pushback on it was insane. Are oh, you being so negative and this and that? And then I wrote something this morning about why Tennessee fans shouldn't freak out, kind of the conversation that, that we're having right now. 
And I even got responses to that tweet. That's where the the three star you comments and oh, you're just making excuses. I'm like, okay, it's just you cannot win. You, you win. cannot win in this conversation at all. Yeah, because because you're gonna have people that want to be eternal optimists right now, and you're gonna have the people that want to be pessimists, and they're they're gonna be warring over this situation when the truth is is you know it sounds lame, but it really is somewhere in the middle. Yeah, it just there, it is what it is. It's just the situation. Yeah, there there is there is the fact that you got to win more games. You got to become an even more attractive program. You got to go, hey, we can win 10 games in a season. Come on down because the chance of us winning a championship is real now. And and then on top of that, you got to throw around big money in, in the NIL market, which Tennessee's already doing. You got that down. Although we did talk about, you mentioned it there. There has been some, some rumblings that have actually been confirmed by reporters that kind of Danny White has said, hey, let's. Let's be careful with the NIL stuff. I, I don't remember the exact details, and I don't want to misquote anybody or say anything, but I believe it was something like the Tennessee coaches cannot speak directly with the NIL just to kind of keep plausible deniability there, whatever I believe was the case. Correct? Was that uh, right? I think I'm remembering that right. Here's his quote. Um Okay. There's still an NCAA rule that specifically says we cannot be involved in any kind of NIL or any kind of inducement activity in recruiting. So there's a line between recruiting and current student athletes that we have been very strict about with our coaches and staff, and we will continue to be. I like where we are in that space. So basically what you're saying, current student athletes, yeah, you can get them NIL deals. Recruits, prohibited. White has made it clear that there's that line there. Uh, which there's still a ton of gray area even then because your yeah. collective is supposedly the one negotiating. And, and I know, yeah. And and I know some people that's going to freak some people out and go like, oh no, it's going to kill the NIL. Now we're not going to be in that space. I, that doesn't give me really any evidence of almost anything. Think you, can, first of all, the school can still have contact with this NIL and just have it be, there are things use a burner phone. Publicly too. <laughs> Yeah, meet me with them in secret in person. Use a burner phone. I mean, it's that simple. You know, like there's ways for them to to keep in contact with these guys and coordinate and do all of those things. That could still absolutely happen. You just have to be careful mm-hmm. about it. That's that's the whole thing. It's what I've always said about Saban. He cheats like everybody else, but he keeps it under wraps. He never gets caught. So there you go. It's that simple. Just don't ever get caught. Um, but it, as far as that goes, I I I think that may be a factor. But I, I don't think it's going to be as big of a factor as people probably want it to be in this situation. I think there are just some things that put Tennessee at a disadvantage right now, just in the way that you are rebuilding. Uh, if you're in a situation like this where you're battling against a school that's in a really attractive city that's putting up the same kind of money that you are, and so you know all things being equal, the kid might just go, I want to go to this school more. Like There are just some factors that are working against you at times because you can't just go, when, when things are equal like that, where the, the other school is putting up the same money as you, Tennessee can't just go, hey, we won a national championship. We won an SEC championship. Come on down. Th- that's not something that Tennessee can say. They can't even say that we've had a double-digit win season in the last, what did you say, 15 years. Like, that's brutal. But that's what you have to fight through and just what has to be done. And I think you're exactly right with the transfer portal. That really... I, to me, that is the strategy that I would turn to, and I hope they do. And to some extent, they have. You got Brew McCoy coming in, some guys like that. But uh, like it, that is a point of emphasis that I would make. We'll see exactly what they do. Um, but commitments, you got to start landing some of these guys. I, yeah. I don't know. You got to start landing them. Well, commitments just don't mean as much now as they used to because it doesn't mean that that's where that kid is going to stay for three that's or true. four years. It doesn't even mean signing doesn't even mean anything anymore because you can still transfer. We've saw kids that have signed, got out of their, their NLI, their national letter of intent and played elsewhere that next season there, especially if a coach is fired or a big position coach that you were close with changes jobs or something. You know, there's so many different factors that that doesn't even really mean anything anymore. It's all about the team that you have when you hit the field on opening day and almost week to week, because I mean, we saw it with Eric Gray and others that you can just leave whenever you want to, which is completely insane that that's become the norm. Because I remember when it happened with Jalen Hurd in 2016, he was 
I mean, it's it's impacted his reputation among Tennessee fans greatly, even though he was really one of the all-time greats to play at Tennessee. If he would have stayed, he probably would have been the all-time rushing leader by the time he was done. He was a really good player. And he, you wouldn't even blink an eye at that now. I mean, Eric Gray did it, and it's just like, yeah, yeah, you lost that guy to Oklahoma. I mean, that's – no, Dane, you know, what do we do? Uh, now it's just it's just it's just the way it goes now. So I don't think there should be as much panic over losing a recruit just because of all the different factors and just the way the sport has evolved over the last couple of years. Obviously, you want to land those guys for momentum. The more guys you have committed, the more likely you are to get even better players. I don't think it's you know the end of the world. There's also one other thing that that played into this too that I think you got to consider outside of NIL money is the fact that you know Josh Heupel landed Nico obviously partially because of the NIL but let's not act like Tennessee was the only one offering the number two or three quarterback in the country an NIL deal he still chose Tennessee because he wants to play there part of that's because of Heupel Alex Golish uh Joey Hosley the, the quarterbacks coach like that's what they're known for they develop quarterbacks they put up huge numbers mario cristobal ex-offensive line coach he was at oregon he was recruiting mario when he was at oregon they have a relationship he coaches his position so it's natural that he kind of gravitated towards cristobal that's not shocking in, in in that aspect yeah that's that's a good point um so that I mean that that's basically the the take as as far as that goes. You did also <laughs> we've kind of skipped over this completely with that conversation because it people kind of got a an ill feeling after after Maljoa chose uh Miami, but Tennessee actually got a five star player over the weekend. He's a 2024 five star player, so an, an extra year on um for Maljoa. But Jonathan Eccles, who just, just an hour after Maljoa. Yeah, <laughs> it was right after the number five edge rusher in the class of 2024, according to on three, the number 35 player nationally. I mean, it's a huge pickup for 2024. And really it, it kind of went, I sort of feel bad for the kid. Cause it sort of went um, not unnoticed, but it was a little bittersweet. Cause you sort of uh-huh. go like, this is great. We love that. But you also whiffed on a huge recruit that we really could have used a little more immediately. Um, and, and so that's, a great pickup, and I, I, I love that they they got this guy in the fold. Also, and and a note on that, he's also from IMG Academy, so That's clearly major. Yes, Peter <laughs> Meyer didn't get in his ear. Tennessee had all the momentum going into that commitment, and it would have been a huge upset if he would have chose somebody other than Tennessee. I mean, nobody really thought that he was going to go anywhere else. So if he would have not committed to Tennessee yesterday, I think we could have officially. Uh, be on like Brian Niedermeyer super concern watch yeah. because Carnell Tate wide receiver Ohio State Mojo offensive line Miami like it all kind of adds up but you start losing I mean this guy I mean he's gonna be what a, a tight end I think is what they're kind of projecting him to be I know he's yeah. an athlete but they're they're thinking tight end so you know that, that, if, if you miss on him there's definitely some concern like is Tennessee ever going to get another IMG player as long as Niedermeyer's there? Because that's a pretty big uh, school that you need to be getting players from. I mean, those were players coming from all over the country. I believe Eccles is from Georgia originally. Maujoa, obviously, American Samoa, Carnell Tate from Chicago. Like, these guys aren't native to Florida. You got some of the best players in the country going down there to play football. You need to get some of those guys. So, Maybe Niedermeyer doesn't have as much of an influence as we, well, at least we hope he doesn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, hopefully not. And this, I think with this Eccles commitment, it kind of goes to something we talked to talked about last week where it sort of felt like in some of these battles, Heupel has missed because he didn't have the longstanding relationship. This was specifically with Carnell Tate. Ohio State and Ryan Day just had more time. Ryan Day has been there for years and has had time to work on this kid. And and Heupel just hasn't been. He wasn't talking to Carnell Tate at, at UCF. <laughs> he just that was not the type of player he was going after. Yeah. And and so you're working from behind as far as that goes. With Eccles, I mean, this is one, you're getting this kid an entire year uh ahead of 
his his time. You know, he's a 20, 2024 class. And he's the first guy in that class. Landing yes. a five-star as your first commit is big. And this, this is where I was going. You show with with more time to work. You got way more time to work with this class. I mean, hopefully they've been working on the 2024 class since the day Hypel showed up. Yeah. Because that's really what you have to do. You have to work years ahead of time in recruiting. Um, but you have more time to work on this class, and the primary guy in the class is a five star. It's huge. It's it's really massive. I mean, even even with this 2023 class, you are working from behind because there's just years where Hypel missed getting to know some of these kids. But now you're getting more time to build this 2024 class and the foundation is a five-star player. Uh, and, and I think that's huge. And, it, and it's a five-star player that they're kind of working with because obviously in his, uh, I, I was looking at a interview. I mean, he's one of the main things that he said was the reason he wanted to come to Tennessee was that tight end factor. Uh, the Tennessee was going to accommodate that. And he obviously coming out, he's a edge rusher in the ratings, at least on, on three. Um, and like the, you're, you're kind of showing like, Hey, we're willing you, maybe you want to, you're a, a cornerback in college. You want to play wide, wide receiver. Let's talk about it. You know, some, some things like that. And, and I think this is, this is a really good sign going forward. Uh, but the, the fruit of that labor, I mean, you're really not going to see it for a whole entire year from now when kids for that 2024 class start committing more. Um, but this, that's great. It's a great pickup. It just felt kind of bittersweet with the Mount Joe news. Well, if you, if you need uh, a little bit of, I want to say optimism, but something to feel good about uh, or to kind of take solace in, is the fact that Florida, and we've talked about this, is is not doing well in recruiting at all right now, and they're losing players to Miami left and right. And Mawajoa is a player that they were going after, that they were kind of on his early list and stuff, and they faded badly. Like, they weren't even in the conversation. So you can look at the, it's important to keep these recruiting losses in context. How is Tennessee doing on the whole compared to everybody talked about, you know, they're number 10, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, but for the most part, they're, they're doing, I think as good as you could hope. I mean, you got to have realistic expectations, right? Tennessee's not going to go out and get the number one class in the country coming off a seven and six season, after a disastrous three and seven year where the head coach was fired, you got a whole brand new program, lots of challenges, your new culture, all that kind of stuff. I think top 10 really is about as realistically as good as you can hope. And they're outperforming a lot of other coaches in the SEC that, that are kind of media darlings. I mean, Shane Beamer, Billy Napier, guys that, that the national media seems to love, and they're not really on the same level as Tennessee in recruiting right now. Yeah, there really aren't. Tennessee with 14 commits with the number 10 class. South Carolina with 13 commits, the number 27 class. So you are. So that that's a, that speaks volumes there because yeah. you can't you can't use the quantity uh, excuse there. I mean, that's obviously well, what Tennessee has. That's what Tennessee has on Alabama right now, for example, right? But when it comes to South Carolina, a team that they're going to directly be compared to for the next couple of years, because they both had similar seasons with with first year head coaches last year. Tennessee, South Carolina, they've kind of followed the same path over the past 10 years or so. So that's that's really the program that's your closest comp right now. Obviously, you, you want that to change over the next couple of years. You want that comp to be Georgia and, and, and Auburn or, or Alabama and, and, and better teams. But right now, that's your best comp, and they're, they're clearly out-recruiting Shane Beamer. Yeah, you're winning that battle, and that's that's great. So, so far – Cut couple of losses you wish you would have won this one with Malajoa particularly, but is it the end of the world? No, it's it's not. And just when when these going forward, Davian Bradley, that's gonna be a huge one. Gotta get that. And that's one you gotta beat uh Texas AM and South Carolina for. <sighs> yeah, I mean you that cannot lose. We talked about this, but you cannot lose to South Carolina on that. Cannot. One. Yeah. Texas AM would be one thing where they got that oil money that they're throwing around, but I mean you just you right now. You cannot afford a recruiting a big recruiting loss to South Carolina. So we'll we'll see. That's just a it's a matter of time. We'll have to see what happens there. But the the, the final topic of the show is really it's it's separate, but it really is part of this whole conversation because it really affects recruiting. It really affects the NCAA and the landscape of college football. But earlier uh, in last week, UCLA 
USC announced that they're going to the Big Ten, which that means that the Big Ten will have a team, two teams in Los Angeles and a team in New Jersey. Uh, so it's a pretty, they're pretty much covering the whole, the whole deal. Uh, they, they're kind of void and from what, from like Nebraska to California, but um, you know, they, they still going to have California schools, New Jersey schools, Ohio schools, like they're, they're geographically covering the gambit there now. And the, the Texas Oklahoma move almost felt inevitable because they were just such powerful programs and the big 12 has just kind of slowly become less and less relevant. They never make the playoff. They just, you know, there's just something there that was just off and you kind of felt like that was coming. This is the first time with the conference realignments where I personally, and I'm huge on this. I want the NCAA to be gone. Kiss them goodbye. They deserve to be, dismantled completely like i'm that kind of person like create these super conferences because i i want this the structure of of college sports to not involve the ncaa anymore at least these major college sports that make tons of money um this was the first time where i went oh okay we're really we're making moves now like this is really i think the start specifically because geographically this just does not make sense i mean this is pretty ridiculous to have a school that is going to have to travel. I mean, how, how far is that? If, if UCLA, UCLA played or Rutgers. Rutgers, yeah. Like, what is that travel? Like a three hour difference, thousands of miles of travel. It's, it's a, you know, you, gotta six leave, hour plane I mean, you almost got to leave a couple of days early really to adjust. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Jet lag literally would be a factor in an in-conference game. That's crazy. Uh, and so to me, this is the first real sign of the of the super conference. I mean, Texas and Oklahoma was that. The SEC is gunning for that. The SEC is gunning for the super conference for sure. But to me, this was like the first truly shameless kind of out of nowhere. They uh, supposedly, according to the reports around it, UCLA and, and USC had joined the the alliance or whatever with the the ACC and something else where they verbally had committed to not realigning or whatever. And they just stabbed all those people in the back. Apparently I, this is, this is big. Is it, is it making you uncomfortable Zach? Or are you a fan? I'm kind of in the middle. I understand that the evolution of the sport has to happen uh, for the NCAA to go away, which obviously needs to happen. But then the part of me, you know, the nostalgic part of me that grew up watching the 12 team sec or the nine team acc or the actual big 10 when there was 10 teams in it like just the traditional conferences the rivalries i wish that all that would have been able to stay intact and the ncaa go away i mean i understand why it has to happen and the games are the games so it's not that big of a deal it's just kind of the tradition the traditionalist part of me which you know there's certain things I like more than others. I don't know. I, I'm like you. I understood Texas and Oklahoma. It felt inevitable. It, it doesn't feel natural, but it felt inevitable. But this doesn't feel natural. It didn't feel inevitable, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's obviously all for television uh, money, and that's the big kind of standoff right now is it just kind of load up on teams for, for television rights and to get all that money. I don't know where it goes from here, though. That's that's the thing. It's like there's no obvious answer. And I've ran through so many scenarios in my head. Like what kind of super conferences are we going to get? Uh, who Who's who's the last conference standing in all this? What happens to the teams that aren't in one of those conferences? What kind of shot do they have? How does that impact those student athletes and their opportunities? Uh, it's just a weird thing where the the – future of the sports uncertain obviously it's going to survive there's so much money involved it's it's going to survive it's going to be fine it's just going to look a lot different than what we're used to so i don't know what the end game in all this is i kind of tweeted a little bit about you know like a 30 team mega sec conference where you go and you get yeah oklahoma state west virginia some of these virginia tech maybe Clemson, some of these other teams that may, might be looking around. And 
you come up with a scheduling concept of, you know, you put maybe the traditional SEC on one side and you play three permanent opponents and a couple of random opponents from your side every year and then four random, three random opponents from the other side and then maybe one team from outside of all this. And then you have your own little four-game playoff and the winner of that gets to go to a national championship playoff or something. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like, but there's, I mean, there's so many different scenarios that can play out and what, what makes the most sense. I mean, I, I don't think anybody knows. I don't think the powers that be know either where this is headed. Everybody keeps talking about, Oh, well, it's just becoming pro football, pro football. And, and to me again, and I know this is, this is not everybody's stance. I'm fully aware that this is a pretty divisive stance to take. I go, yeah, thank goodness. It's about time. This is the way that it should have been. Like to me, I, I think if you can get to 20, teams in the sec that is where it would be kind of big enough to break away you add first of all i would drop vandy and mizzou kick them out I, everybody if you follow me on twitter you know that i'm on a crusade to have them ejected from the sec they're useless parasites get them out and then you bring in yeah virginia tech west virginia clemson north carolina miami who like just build the roster from there of power schools and make the league amazing. Like, would it not be so amazing to have all of these great schools all in one giant league? And I know a lot of people are worried about the loss of of rivalries and things like that. I mean, how many truly seminal rivalries would have to be saved? Genuinely. Like, I guess for Tennessee, Alabama, and Florida. you I think you could salvage two games a year, right? I mean, that. Like I and I, you know, people love the automatic win with against Vandy, but if Vandy got shaved off the schedule, Tennessee football would become a better product. Like that's there's just some things like that where you go like, yeah, I mean, it's the cross state rivalry, whatever. First of all, it's not really a rivalry because you you beat them. I mean, so far, it's been a rough decade. But before then, you beat them like thirty years in a row. You know, like it was just not even a rivalry historically, and some of that stuff gets shaved off and. It's that, that for for the long term betterment. I the way that I looked at it is this: this realignment is sort of like direct to consumer goods rather than working through a wholesaler. I guess so. Like like cars have to go to a dealership. And they have to go through that third-party dealership and you buy them through the dealership and blah, 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 blah. And then like Tesla came along and they said, what if you bought the car directly from us? And we're going to make the rules for this. We're going to be the dealership. And now, you know, it in a lot of ways, it can be a better alternative. And I think this is kind of that. You cut out the NCAA. You go, we're not doing no more dealership. You're out of here. We make the rules now. And you can... It, it's a little more of a of where if there are problems, it's more easily adjudicated because there's no third party that you have to go to, and the NCA has to approve all this stuff. And there's the board of the blah, 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 you know all this garbage. Cut all that out. Cut out the bureaucracy. Let's get right to it. Like there's some advantages like that that I see in in this. And I think some people probably aren't thinking of it that way. Maybe that can reframe it for some people. That that's basically what's happening here it's becoming direct consumer college football, <laughs> you know? And to me, that's that it should be, should be with a big asterisk, a very good thing. I think in, in the long term. I mean, just think if you had that 20 team league, the, the parasites are kicked out and you have nothing but amazing games on the schedule. Always like how that's amazing. Like that would be great. Would it not like who, I, I know people want to kind of have more snoozer games like, oh, we need more wins. Well, what if we just elevated the level of competition? And and I don't know that that's necessarily what, what makes it better. Like, yeah, I I like having those wins on the schedule. But ultimately, a better product is seeing Tennessee play who? North Carolina rather than Tennessee playing Vandy. It just I that that's how I look at it. This UCLA USC move is weird, but it's a step in that direction. And so I'm I'm really for it at the end of the day. And I know a lot of people aren't gonna aren't gonna love that. But I uh it just is it's 
how I see it. And I think it's going to be SEC, Big Ten, and maybe one more when it eventually shakes out. Some people think it's just going to be the SEC and the Big Ten in these massive conferences. I I don't know exactly how that would work, but uh, I'm I'm for it so far, depending on how it all eventually shakes out. I think so I, I finally I found my tweet here, and this is what I had kind of formulated in my head, and it's maybe it makes sense, maybe it doesn't, but kind of on the same page. I think this is how it could play out, and how it maybe will if you take a. 28 team or 30 team SEC because what there's there's five power five conferences there's what probably 60 some schools 70 schools total in all those conferences maybe together somewhere around that number maybe 75 I know the ACC's had like 18 members for a little while now but so you're probably looking at two super conferences with about 30 teams in it because inevitably some teams will get left out I don't think anybody's uh racing to, to include Kansas in one of their new conferences. I, I don't think Vanderbilt's going to go anywhere. I, I mean, I know I get what you're saying, but I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think Missouri. You know, I think once you're in, you're kind of in. But my proposal would be like a 28-30 team mega SEC, depending on, I'm not sure what the final number would be, but you have your traditional SEC teams, your, your, your 14 pre-Oklahoma and Texas on one side. The new members starting with Oklahoma and Texas – on the other side, and you know, it could include the West Virginia, North Carolina, Miami, Virginia Tech, whoever, Baylor, maybe some some schools like that that would make sense. Play a nine-game conference schedule, play three permanent opponents. You could have Alabama, Florida. It would probably be Vanderbilt because of the in-state thing that would be your permanent, but like that's uh. just probably how it would work out. Then play four that rotate from your your side. So you're still gonna be playing most of those SEC opponents pretty often because, I mean, that's, what, three, four, eight. I mean, that's basically six other teams that you're rotating four games with every uh, couple of years. So you're going to play those teams pretty often. Then you play two from the other side. You can kind of rotate that through. So you play every team. I guess it would be like every seven years you would at least play every single team. That leaves three games. You know, maybe you play a team from the other mega conference. You play a group of five team or whatever that turns out to be independent. I don't know what that would look like, but you play one of those, and then maybe you play a money game. Uh, You know, a a UT Martin or somebody that kind of you pay to come. Helps fund those programs. I get it. If you don't go that route, I floated before that you could play a spring exhibition game where you play those uh, teams, which I I love, love the that. idea of. I love the idea of a scrimmage, like an actual scrimmage. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel like you're at any more risk of an injury than you would be at a typical spring game. I mean, we most of those injuries that happen happen in just a random practice anyway that time of year. You can't really control that. You can't control injuries. So that, that, that would be one avenue you could take. And then, like I mentioned before, you would have like your own four-game conference playoff. Uh, so then you're up to 14 games on the schedule that leads you into the college football playoff, presumably staying at four teams. Uh, You got your conference winners, your automatic bid, and then maybe you go just best resume after that. Uh, 16 teams for the two teams that made it to the very 16 games. I mean, for the two teams that made it to the very end one extra game a year, you know, maybe you keep your bowl game kind of structure intact. I'm not sure how that would look, but there's ways to make it work and still look like the college football that we all grew up loving just with kind of a new spin on it. I think everybody there, – there is a serious case to be made that college football would be an even better product at that point. You know what it would really be great for is college basketball. When you just get like a rotating menu of awesome – matchups and it's really varied it's not just like oh tennessee plays south carolina twice a year then you play them again in the sec tournament and you, you know you would really get a lot of variety that way like if you got to go like if you brought virginia into the league and tennessee got to go play at the the jpj john paul jones over there like that would be so yeah. fun it would be awesome to be able to get that on the schedule i so you know i'm a huge advocate for it i think it would be good I mean, if, if nothing else, when you get that direct-to-consumer model like I was talking about, that's even more money coming in the door for everybody uh, because you cut out 
you cut out a man that you got to give a check to. Um, Which the NCAA is, is really not a factor anymore. Yeah, I mean, the, the money's all, all coming anyway. in. It all drives, it's driving all this anyway, so. Yeah, so I I don't know how it will shake out. I What you just described would be cool with me. It would be better than what we're working with right now because college football as a product is is really at a crossroads where you just have these dominant teams. They play in the, the playoff every single year, and it's boring. And it needs a shakeup. It needs a serious shakeup. And I I know people really want to hang on to the tradition there. And I think you can do some amount of both. You can't have everything. You just can't. That's not the way that it works. But you can do some amount of both, and it can still work out. And I eventually, I, I think, personally, it really works for uh, a school like Tennessee. Because I think the goal at this point with the, the godfathers of college football at the moment you're greg sankey's and guys like that who are the heads of these leagues they got to be thinking about more parity and how to bring that in because you know i know everybody thinks that he just loves alabama and that they do everything for the sake of alabama that ultimately that is not the case tennessee is a huge money maker uh alabama's huge money maker lsu is a huge money maker i mean they they all drive a lot for the sec and it would be good for everybody to succeed. And I think they got to be looking at that. And this model we're talking about would help that. Uh, I, in my personal opinion, I think NIL is already helping that. As you can see a, a player, like a five-star offensive lineman who would typically go to an Alabama or Georgia is going to Miami could be going to Tennessee should have, should have been going to Tennessee, <laughs> you know? Uh, and so I, I think in the long run, this is the right move. But Denny, any other thoughts on on that, Zach, before we head out? We're running up on like an hour 10 here. No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just anxious to see how it all turns out, but it's, it's going to take quite a while. I'm with you. I don't think there's this big Greg Sankey Alabama bias. I think Georgia winning the national championship this past year, while we hated it, it's ultimately good for the SEC because that's a team that's not Alabama or not LSU, really the only other team that's kind of had success over the last decade at a national level, uh, winning a championship. I think they would love for Tennessee to go 15-0 and and win a championship. That would be huge for the SEC. It would be huge for television. Uh, it, it would be great for them. The same goes for uh, you know, Ole Miss, Auburn, any, any of those programs yep. uh, making a run. It's been a while since Auburn you know, won in with Cam Newton. It's been over a decade now. So uh, Florida. Same thing with Florida. I mean, I think they would love that too. So, yeah, I, I agree there. I think they they want all the teams to succeed. I think it, it's better for business when that happens. But this can't say this. There is a partiality to Saban. I think he's the longest-tenured coach in the SEC. I think he gets and his way they, for sure. Yeah. They do a little bowing down to Saban because he – I mean, no he has so much pull, so much influence, has won so much, is so powerful as a coach and a figure that they they defer to a lot of what he wants and his needs, which is why I really loved – as stupid as the whole situation was, and we talked about it at length on the show here when it happened, uh, but I liked Jimbo uh, calling him out. Somebody needed to do it. It's needed to happen for 10 years now. Um, well, I think that was the frustration from what exactly what you're saying because he probably sees that yeah. up close on a, Always on a gets monthly basis. Yeah. So there, there is that. Um, but that's it. Charlie Burris, Zach Reagan, the Big Orange Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Go check out the YouTube if you want to see the pictures that we showed earlier at Charlie underscore Burris. That's Zach TNT at A to Z Sports, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports. Nashville, a to z sports.com for all the stuff that we write on the old internets. Uh, what am I forgetting? Oh, the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. But if you've made it this far, you know where it is. Some videos are going to pop up over our face that are also on the A to Z Sports YouTube channel. If you're watching on YouTube, click on those if you want to keep watching. Blah, blah, blah. I think that's everything that I got. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to y'all next week. See you guys later. Anymore. You say your time has been pushed around